ahead and take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. We're going to finish up this study. I've been working through the book of Colossians for about three or four years now. Some of you probably think it's been that long. Uh, but uh, I want to pull this to completion tonight. The next week, we're going to come back and I'm going to revisit that last part of Haggai uh, because I, I just got it in my bones. I can't get it out. So next week, we'll do that. And then before you know it, on the 15th, we will have uh, our home Bible studies. And if you haven't discussed that with uh, your Sunday school class, you need to do that. You need to get all of that scheduled. And if you are not going to do it and you're in the home with the Sunday school classes, uh, you can do it right here. We'll have a group in this chapel. So either way, I hope that you will look at those opportunities to, uh, to be involved in study. But tonight, I want us to focus Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. You know, it would be very easy for me to, to kind of leave this off because the, these are the concluding remarks of Paul. You would think, okay, he said everything he really needs to say as far as we're concerned for the modern-day audience, the contemporary audience of today. Why would you have to go back and look at how he would talk about these specific people? But I believe that every word that we have in Scripture is God-inspired. I said that Wednesday night, every word that it's all inspired by him. So in other words, even the concluding statements. And there's something I think that is to benefit us as we read through it. I, I hope that tonight we see how we need friends. We need relationships. We need it in our lives. We need it in the gospel uh, efforts. We need people around us. Relationships are so important. And I want you to focus on that. When we read through this tonight and I talk about some of these people, I want you to think about the relationships that they had with Paul and how they were used to move forth the good news of Jesus. Okay? So look at verse 7. It says, Tychicus, a beloved brother, Tychicus. And Ty, I didn't know you were going to be here tonight, but I decided the rest of the night I was going to call him Ty anyway, all right? Because that just kind of gets a little laborious when you're trying to pronounce it. Ty, Ty, a beloved brother, faithful minister and faith fellow servant in the Lord will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. So let me just work down these lists. Can I do that first? And then I'll come back and give you, again, a few truths I think you can take away from this passage. The Bible gives us this guy named Tychicus, or as I said, a guy named Ty. And Ty is a beloved brother. And notice what Paul says. Paul says that he is sending this letter to the Colossians via Ty. Ty's going to bring it to them. He is the one that is carrying the letter. He's the one that's going to hand it over. Because remember, Paul's writing it, but where is he? He is in Rome, and he's under house arrest. And he's writing this letter. He's got to have somebody to take it for him. I mean, he's in Rome. You're talking about like over in Asia Minor itself. He's got to get all the way over there. And Ty takes this letter to the Colossians. Now, what do we know about this individual? He is a beloved brother. He is a faithful servant. He is a fellow bondservant. We know that Paul trusts this guy. Acts chapter 20, verse 4, he is one of those who would be listed of going and helping to take the collection, the offering for the, for the saints in Jerusalem. So in other words, Paul trusts him. Paul trusts him to touch, if he were to touch the money, Paul trusts him. If he were to carry a letter for him, Paul 
trust this guy. And he is sending, he is sending Ty to Colossae so that he might tell the people about what's going on with Paul. Because you kind of wonder, right? I mean, you don't have the social media like you do today. I, I mean, today, I'm sure um, Paul would be Facebooking about his experience under house arrest, or he'd be tweeting a little bit about his house arrest, or he'd be doing these different things. But he's got to tell, what's going on? It's Paul the apostle. What's happening with him? What's going on? And he says, Ty's going to tell you about what's going on with me, but also he's going to comfort you. He's going to encourage you. I love that about Paul, is that Paul is under house arrest and he's still worrying about the encouragement of believers. It's the reason he prays for them, the reason he writes a letter to them, and the reason he sends O Tychicus to them, because he wants them to be Encouraged. So first you're introduced to a guy named Ty, beloved brother, faithful servant, fellow bond servant. Oh, you got somebody like that in your life that you could write those words about? Somebody that kind of has helped you out? Somebody that you would refer to as a beloved brother in the ministry? Hold that thought. We'll get back to it a little later. Look in verse 9. Look who else is coming with Tychicus. It says... Onesimus, Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will make known to you all the things which are happening here. Again, he says, there's somebody that's coming with Tycho, because of course they've already met him because they're, they're reading the letter now. And this guy is a guy named Onesimus. Now, this is important, I think, to us. Because who is Onesimus? Remember, there's another little book, another little letter that's written at the same exact time. That little letter, Philemon. There in Philemon, you will find the name of Onesimus. Onesimus, who was a slave, a runaway slave. A slave who had left the Colossae area. Because remember, Philemon lives in Colossae. He's part of this church. He's, so Onesimus has run away. And somehow in Rome, his path crosses with a guy named Paul. Could you say divine sovereignty? I love the way God just like brings people out of the blue sometimes, don't you? Well, most of the time I do. If you recognize me at Disney and I'm on a run, don't try to stop me. I love you. Just know I do. And I will talk to you when I get back. A couple years ago, we were in Disney, and uh, I was going in. We had gotten up very, very early in the morning, very early, to get to the park, to be able to get to Animal Kingdom, because there was a flight of passage ride that I had to ride. The, the park was opening early, and thus we had to get there much earlier than usual so that we could get there. Because understand, if you didn't get there at a certain time that early, you would stand in line for like three hours. And I don't stand in line for three hours, okay? So we're going through. We're, we're making our way through. And uh, what do I hear? Brother Reggie. It's like, don't turn around, don't turn around, don't turn around, don't turn around. Brother Reggie. And I could see there, there was somebody, I could hear them getting closer. And I was trying to rush the kids and get them on and get them on. And I, I don't remember one of my kids finally turned around. They haven't learned yet. And um, <clears throat> the people caught us. 
It, these folks, uh, I had pastored in Zachary some years ago. They lived in South Carolina now. I would not seen them in some time. Wonderful family. I loved them to death. I just didn't want to see them at this time of life, you know. <laughs> and he sat there and began to just talk and talk and talk and talk. And all these people were going by me. And I couldn't hear a word he was saying because I was thinking, how many people were getting in front of me in that line? And I finally looked and said, Danny, are you going to this flight of the passage? He said, absolutely. I said, let's carry on the conversation in line then. Come with me and let's go to the ride now. You know, you never know who you're going to see. I was telling people I was in El Salvador. I walked into a market in San Salvador. And um, while I was there, this guy looked over at me and I could tell he was probably from the United States. And he said, where are you from? I said, from Ruston, Louisiana. Where are you from? West Monroe. Then all of a sudden, I met all these people that we had connections with and all of this. It was, it was a cool thing. You never know who you're going to bump into, but get this. It was God's plan for a runaway slave, Onesimus, to travel all the way from Colossae there to Rome and to come in contact with a guy named Paul who was under house arrest. God knew what he was doing. And God had brought the two of them together. Now, here it says... Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. Now, I personally believe, after reading Philemon, that Onesimus was actually saved under Paul's ministry. I believe when he talks about how he was begotten there, that that meant he was saved there. I, I believe that. Now, I, I could be wrong, uh, could possibly be wrong on that. I think what he's saying, though, is he's one of you like now. Now, he's from Colossae. He's one of you because he's from that area. But also, now he's part of you. He's part of you as a church. Now, Onesimus, when you read Philemon, again, Paul talks about how useful this individual was, how profitable he was for the work of the kingdom, for the work of the ministry. I think Paul not only had led him to salvation, but I think Paul had... Paul had determined that he loved this guy, that he loved this individual. And again, he sent him back to Colossae. Now, this was a test in many ways. Whereas Ty was going to bring encouragement, there was the possibility of Onesimus bringing a lot of questions. Because how will the church respond? How will Philemon respond? That's again the reason there are two letters that are taken, one to the Colossians, one to Philemon, the two in particular that we have today, those two that are mentioned, because it's going to be a challenge. How, how will the church, how will Philemon respond? Remember, this is, again, a runaway slave. Will Philemon show grace and mercy and forgiveness? As far as that goes, will the church be forgiving when he shows up? Will the church accept him, even though he comes maybe from a different social standing and background? Will the church receive him? as well. And you know that really brings the words of chapter 3 verse 22 through chapter 4 verse 1. This situation brings those words home of how individuals will deal with the culture in which they live. Now I do believe, and I said this a few weeks ago when we studied chapter 3 verse 22 through chapter 4 verse 1, I believe slavery has always been, uh, it has always been a horrific practice never sanctioned by God. 
Never. Even though people have tried to make the... No. Some of you say, well, look at the passage. What this, look at Philemon as well. When Paul sends him back, Paul says, I could order you, basically, to set him free. That's what he says. I basically could because I am the apostle. I mean, Paul wasn't being arrogant. He was just saying, I've got that authority. In Christ, I have that authority. But Paul says, I believe you're going to do what's right on your own. I'm going, I believe that you are going to do even more than I could ever imagine. That's a, that's a good way to argue sometimes, isn't it? That sound like a good mama or daddy? Like, I could tell you to do this, but I know you're going to do better than I would even tell you. You know, just a little bit. Paul says, I know you're going to do better. I know you're going to receive him as a brother. Because this is not a runaway slave. He is a beloved brother. Paul says, this is my friend Onesimus. He's a brother to me, but he is a brother to you. The gospel is greater than any social standing. And Onesimus, his name means something like useful or profitable. And he will use, Paul will use that type of play on words in the book of Philemon to remind him, to remind Philemon and all those, I think, in Colossae, how this one has been changed by the gospel of Christ. And now he is truly profitable. He left you, but now he is returning to you profitable for the kingdom because he's accepted Christ as his Savior. So these two, Ty and Onesimus, they come to Colossae to encourage, to bring knowledge of Paul and what is going on. But continue to read verse 10. Man, there are a lot of names here. Some of you are probably looking like, oh no, we're never getting out of here tonight. But there are a lot of names. Verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. Aristarchus, a native of Thessalonica, one of the Jewish believers that Paul will speak about here, who traveled with Paul, who again had been one chosen to accompany the offering or the collection for the church at Jerusalem. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, somebody that's here with me and obviously under the same type of imprisonment or house arrest as well, with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions if he comes to you, welcome him. Old Mark, we call him John Mark. John being his Jewish name, Mark being his Roman name. A cousin of Barnabas, who had grown up in Jerusalem, according to Acts chapter 12. You remember John Mark? First missionary journey. I'm going. Count me in. I want to be a part of what's happening until they get good and started. And then they begin visiting different areas. And what happens? John Mark says, I'm out of here. Had enough of this. We're not told why he leaves. It may be because it was difficult. It may be because he was homesick. We don't know. But we do know this, that when the second missionary journey rolls around and, uh, and Barnabas says, hey, we need to take John Mark with us. What does Paul said? What does he say? Not happening on my watch. He's not going with me again. I've already been deserted once. Hey, you know, it's one of those like fool me once. That, right? That's on you. Fool me twice. That's on me. Not going to happen. No, 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 no. And Barnabas and Paul have a great dispute. You didn't know missionaries could have anger issues, could you? 
But the Bible says that there was a sharp disagreement. Literally, that's what it means like a, a poking, sharp disagreement that they have to the point where they cannot work together. Bartimaeus says, I'm taking John Mark. Paul says, fine, you go your way. I'm taking Silas. I'm going my way. But there was a young guy that preached not long ago from the book of Acts. That was a great series he did. <laughs> and I think he reminded us that multiplication can come through division. And just as they were divided, God took them and he multiplied the efforts. Sent them in totally different in totally different areas, and you have twice the kingdom witness taking place because God's bigger than our divisions. <laughs> God can take our flaws and our mess-ups, and He can utilize. And guess what? God redeemed and worked through John Mark. I love the story because you keep reading because here's Paul talking about John Mark. Last time, I mean, Paul was talking about he wasn't traveling with him anymore. He wasn't working with the gospel presentations anymore with him. He wasn't doing anything with John Mark. And now he says, Mark, cousin of Barnabas, he says, about whom you received instructions, if he comes to you, you welcome him. Hmm. Something's changed in Paul's life because he's seen John Mark and there's been a restored relationship and friendship. Peter was accompanied by Mark. I believe that the gospel that bears his name, Mark, written by John Mark, that it is basically the gospel of Peter, that he was an interpreter of the apostle Peter, the, script, or the tradition tells us, and that he tells us what Peter... But all later, maybe even more important, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11... When Peter, again, has been imprisoned in Rome, and this time it's not house arrest, it's a dungeon, and Paul is facing death, what does he do? He says, you bring John Mark over here. I want to see John Mark because he is profitable for the ministry. I want to see him. So here's John Mark who had deserted but then again had, had come into right relationship with Paul. Verse 11 speaks about Jesus, who is called Justice. We're not told much about him. This Joshua, as it would be given to us in the Jewish language. But Jesus, just Joshua, Justice, he says, But these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are the circumcision. In other words, these are of the Jew, Jewish background, Aristarchus, John Mark, and this Jesus who's called Justice. They have proved to be a comfort to me. Uh, man, that, we don't know much again about Jesus or Justice, but if you got to be mentioned in the Scripture, wouldn't it be nice to be mentioned that you comforted old Paul? Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ greets you always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Epaphras, I believe he was the one who founded the church at Colossae. I believe he was the one who founded the work at Laodicea. Because look in verse 13, it says, For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those who are in Hierapolis. 
Epaphras, who is mentioned back in chapter 1, verse 7, a fellow prisoner in Philemon 23. He is a church planter. And man, he is one who will intercede for the people of God. That uh, language there, laboring fervently for you. Some translations will take it that he was wrestling in prayer for you. Wrestling, laboring, struggling, interceding. And he gives a similar prayer that is given in chapter 1, verse 9, that Paul provides. Oh, look in verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician. Luke. Luke sends his greetings. Oh, yeah. Luke, who I believe to be the only Gentile writer of the New Testament. Some people think he was from Antioch of Syria. Could have been from Greece, but he was a Gentile. He had been with Paul on those, some of those journeys. The we sections of the book of Acts. There are three of them. When you see that we in the, in the book of Acts, you know Luke's with them. He's on the journey. He was with Paul. He is the loved physician. And later on, when Paul is again imprisoned in Rome, as he writes 2 Timothy, he'll say, Luke alone is with me. The great physician. The beloved physician. And don't forget this. Luke writes more of the New Testament in volume than any other writer you'll find. I know some of you always look at me weird when I say that because you're thinking Paul. Paul writes more books, but not more volume. Between the gospel and the book of Acts, Luke gives us such a concise, such um, a story of what Jesus did and what Jesus continued to do in his church in the book of Acts. Demas, he says, Demas greets you. I'm going to come back to Demas in a few moments. But continue the last few verses here. Verse 15, greet the brethren who in Laodicea and Nymphas and the church that is in his house. Actually, I would tell you that I disagree with that translation. I think here Nympha is actually a woman and it's actually there in her house that the church in Laodicea is meeting, which again, a lot of the churches, they met in the houses, obviously, most all of them. And they met in women's houses. For example, Mark's mother would uh, host some of the earliest believers in the book of Acts. Nympha. And then it says in verse 16, Now when this epistle is read among you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you also likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. No, we don't have it. Just so you get thinking, because you're not going to focus on the rest of the message here tonight, you're going to say, okay, where's that letter? It's not in your book. We don't have it. I don't know. But there was a letter that was written to Laodicea. Now, some of you are saying, how about Revelation? Yes, there was a letter written. I know that. That's not the same one, okay? You with me? You all right? I hurt your feelings? You confused? Good. Verse 17, And say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. We don't know much about Archippus. All we know is God gave him a work. <laughs> God said, hey, this is what I need you to do. And he was supposed to be fulfilling it. Now, I, I read all that to you again. Some of you say, oh, man, that's a lot. Let me just give you some thoughts as we close. One, relationships are important to our lives. Don't you ever forget that. There are a lot of blessings God gives us in this world. But I think one of the greatest blessings he gives us 
would be the relationships that we have with one another. Paul, yes, he was the apostle. Paul, yes, he was the theologian. Paul, yes, he was the one who would write Holy Scripture. But Paul was a human individual that needed relationships in his life. He needed people. He needed people in his life to be able to encourage him. Read those letters again. Read this section again of, of people who are beloved brothers, faithful individuals, people who have been there with him, people who are going through the, the different obstacles with him. He needed other people. And you and I, we need people. We need relationships in our lives. No man is an island. No man is an island. We need the connections and relationships with other individuals, and we need them daily. Paul understood that, and he knew that. Yes, some are closer than others. I want to address this for just a moment. It's okay to have some friends closer than other friends. It's okay. Do you feel freed now? I hope you do, in a sense. It's okay. Sometimes you get to feeling bad. Oh, these people are closer to me. I should be with this and that. You know, I always, I've struggled through the years, struggled through the years when I've heard people say, oh, you know, there's so many cliques in that church or cliques in that church. Now, I hope you know that I believe we ought to be welcoming to everyone who comes into our congregation, no matter what they look like, no matter what their background nothing disqualifies them from walking in and worshiping with us on a Sunday morning or Sunday night. You and I ought to be welcoming and extend a, a, a hospitable spirit to each and every individual we see. I believe that. But you know what? There are some people in the church you're going to be closer to than others. I hope you're closer to some of your Sunday school class members than you are others. Because that means you're building deep relationships in the Sunday school classes. Oh, but it's so... Can you imagine what they would have said about Jesus? Jesus had 12 disciples. You don't think that's a click? As a matter of fact, he even had three that got to do special things with him. Like they got to go into the garden a little farther and pray. They got to see people resurrect. I mean... Jesus, you, but today, can you imagine? Oh, Jesus, you know, he just got that click. You know what? I'm better than most of those people in that click. Especially that treasurer. You ever seen him, Judas? He's just, <laughs> Judas, I could, I'm better than him any day. I've never thought about that either. Dwight, we need to. <laughs> I'm, no, I mean, it just hit me. I'm sorry. I should not have spoken off the cuff like that. Holy Spirit inspired, though, I think. <laughs> I'll just say to you that we need relationships, and it's fine to have close relationships. Paul names names. Paul says, these people are close to me. These people are close to you as a church. They love you, and they love me. It's fine to have relationships, and we need to know relationships are important in our lives. Second, I would say this. Relationships are not just important in our lives. Relationships are important in our gospel work. If we're going to be effective communicators of the gospel, if we're going to take the good news of Jesus Christ as we should, then that means we need some relationships to help us move the gospel. You would think if anybody could have done it alone, 
outside of Jesus. You would have thought if anybody could have done it alone outside of Jesus, it would have been Paul, right? But Paul couldn't do the gospel work by himself. Thank God he had a, there was a guy named Epaphras who most likely was saved during his Ephesian ministry who went back to Colossae and said, let me tell you about Jesus, who had gone to Laodicea, who had gone to Hierapolis and said, let me tell you about Christ. As far as I know, most would agree that Paul had not even visited Colossae. He's writing a letter to it, but he didn't even know these folks really. Epaphras was the one who had brought the gospel. He couldn't take the letter to them, but old Ty could. He couldn't pray for it. Well, he could pray for them, but he also needed other people who would pray for them. Somebody like Epaphras who would wrestle in prayer for them. There are all kinds of people here who affect the good news. Not all of us may be the Apostle Paul. But there's some of us in this place that might be an Epaphras. There might be some of us who would be a Jesus who is called Justice. There might be some of us in this place who would be an Aristarchus. And it may be a ministry of encouragement. It may be that God has placed us somewhere where we can make an impact for the gospel when others could not. I say to you, we all need relationships. When I read through this list and I see the various people, we need relationships. We need friends. Relationships are important in our lives and relationships are important in our gospel work. Relationships, let me just say this, relationships are important regardless of the risk. Sometimes when you enter into relationships, you will see some of the greatest blessings and joys and happiness you will ever know. But let me say this as well. When you enter into relationships, you are also opening yourself up for discouragement and disappointment. You don't think John Mark disappointed Paul from what I said a few moments ago? Yes, he did. Demas. I skipped over it, but I told you I would come back. Demas, who is there with Paul, who sends greetings. This is Demas, who will later on be spoken about by Paul in 2 Timothy 4.10. This Demas, who is from Thessalonica. It says in 2 Timothy 4.10, Having loved the present world, he has deserted me gone or returned to Thessalonica. Now the way it reads, it seems like he's abandoned his faith. I was reading other commentaries even this afternoon that said, we're not told for sure that he abandoned his faith. Maybe Paul was just disappointed. Maybe he would come back. I, I don't know. We're not told that he ever came back. But can you imagine how Paul must have been frustrated and disappointed because Demas had loved this world more than he had the kingdom and he abandoned him I'm going to tell you there are going to be times you're going to get hurt I shouldn't say this because there's some visitors here and I really love them for, to come to Temple Baptist Church all the time but I'm just going to be honest you're going to be in a church life 
You're going to be in Temple Baptist Church. You might be in Timbuktu Baptist Church, wherever. You may get hurt. Because when you love somebody, you have deep relationships with them, they're going to disappoint you from time to time. But listen to me. Relationships are worth the risk. They're worth the risk. Hopefully and prayerfully, there can be restoration like Paul and John Mark. I thought of this because, again, I've been teaching through this book for the last few months. And Paul, had, Paul had told them in verse 13 of chapter 3, that you bear with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. See, he was writing that, yes, under the inspiration of the Spirit. He was writing that as a theologian. He was giving us good doctrine, but he also knew the practice of it. In John Mark's case, there had to be a lot of grace and forgiveness given. And you and I, we can't hold grudges. We have to forgive one another. It can still hurt. It can still be painful. But through God's grace and His mercy, I believe He can bring some healing, reconciliation. What I say to you is, relationships are still worth the risk. Because the joy you get in working with other people for the kingdom of God is unlike any other joy. You have your joy in Christ, but what Christ does is He allows us to experience happiness and joy of working together for the kingdom. Relationships are important. And I think how God has blessed me through the years. Um, I've, I've never really pastored a bad church ever, so don't start anything. All right? No, you're not. Leslie and I always talked about how, yes, there have been issues. Yeah, we've had issues. People are people. We're all broken and flawed, and thank God we're saved, but we're not totally complete yet. There are issues. But how I look back at the churches that I pastored and the church I pastor now and how I thank God that we can work together for the kingdom. Because we can do more together through the relationships that we have than we could do by ourselves. Paul had a host. You think this is a long list? Read the last concluding thoughts of Romans, okay? He had a whole lot of people he could talk about that had taken part in the kingdom. And you and I, we have a whole lot of people we can draw on in relationships as we work together for His glory and our good. May we recognize the importance of relationships. And may we work together in those relationships for the gospel of Jesus Christ, for His glory, for His honor. Let's pray together. Father. Thank you again for this word. Thank you for the principles that you give us, and the truth. 
God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ who are sitting here on these pews. Lord, may you allow our love to abound together so that that love will reflect the love of Christ to those in our community and beyond. God, use us collectively. Lord, magnify your efforts. Magnify your power exponentially in our lives so that we can be the people you would have us to be. And help us, Lord, through our relationships to see your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?